really great to meet players and you kind of get this, you know, nothing really beats kind of that organic in-person uh, kind of conversation with someone like they walk by your booth and they say, you know, they stop and they haven't heard of your game and they, and they find it interesting and then they play it and then they really like it and you get to know a little bit about them and they get to know a little bit about you. If you're like me, when you think of online business, your first thought is something like digital marketing or maybe web development. Today's episode is about Stephen Danton, a UX designer for Microsoft, who left to follow his passion for designing video games. In this episode, Stephen discusses some harsh truths about the game design industry, as well as what drives him to work hard on his game day after day. Let's get started. Welcome to the Webwork Podcast. Every week, you're inspiring interviews from remote workers, freelancers, and online business owners. And I'm your host, Zach Jones. Hey, Stephen, how's it going? Great, Zach. Uh, really excited to chat with you. Yeah, um, so I guess just to start out, uh, where are you from and what do you do? Sure. Uh, so originally, I'm from Canada. Uh, grew up in uh, Ontario, which is a province in Canada. Uh, and right now, I am a game designer working on an indie game called Under the End with my wife, Sarah. Yeah, that's that's. I uh, did a little research, and um, your game looks pretty awesome. Um, oh, thanks so much. Do you yeah. play games? Yeah, yeah, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm definitely a big gamer. So, oh, cool. A lot of PC games and stuff like that. Um, nice. But uh, I guess uh, I was looking a little bit in your background, and it looks like you started out as a UX designer originally. I did, yeah. After um, so in university, I originally thought I was going to be a lawyer. So I studied like philosophy, uh, psychology, and political science. And then I realized that I didn't want to do that. So I switched uh, about three years into university to computer science and business, actually. I wanted to see um, the school I went to had a really good business program. So I switched to try and do that. And then I wanted to learn how to make video games. I've always loved video games. So I, I thought, hey, you know, I'm going to try and learn how to program. Uh but I suck at math. So I was terrified <laughs> of uh, learning, you know, taking computer science because it's, it's a, a lot of it is math and there's some pretty hard math courses. Um, so yeah, I, I switched to that and it was like, uh, it was insane. It, it, it was the first year was nuts. Like I had no idea what I was doing, but I kind of figured it out. And then through the computer science, you can kind of go like the full programmer kind of route and it's, it's very theoretical or you can kind of go more, um, HCI, human computer interaction, is kind of what, you know, university kind of guys call it, which is effectively user experience designed from an interface and kind of psychology perspective. Uh, and then I actually studied game design there, too. I actually took the very first game design course ever offered at the university. So that's kind of before the days of like full sale and all these like game design dedicated schools that exist now. And so after that, I, I joined Microsoft. I did an internship at Microsoft. Um, while I was at university and then I joined right out of school uh, at Microsoft. Um, and I, I joined as a, a program manager. So that's often seen as like a project manager, but program managers uh, at Microsoft, at least in the, in the world of office and windows did a lot of interaction design. Uh, and then eventually I, I transitioned into uh, the role of, uh, it was kind of more broadly understood uh, the design discipline at Microsoft. And so I transitioned to be what was called the user experience designer. Uh, and then they got rid of that and it was just designer. So when I left Microsoft, which is about six years ago, I left as a uh, principal user experience architect, which sounds really fancy, but basically I just did like a lot of concepting and prototyping and 
uh, ideation around kind of next gen user interfaces and stuff. Okay, cool. That's that's a lot. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. That's, I mean, Thanks. I feel like most people uh, in your situation or people who probably hear, oh, you worked at Microsoft, like that's got to be a huge thing. Um, what kind of, what was your shift in mindset to say like, I want to go off and pursue game design over this nice job over at Microsoft? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I grew up really loving games and my brother and I, and our, our best friend, who was almost like a stepbrother, we would always talk about designing games and making games and how we could make games better and, and stuff like that. So it's always been in the back of my mind as, as uh, something I'd want to pursue. But for whatever reason, kind of opportunity never came up that you know made it seem like it could be a reality. And then I guess it would have been like around 2010. Sounds weird, but the Windows Phone 7 came out from Microsoft and they officially rolled out a program uh, to have Microsoft employees build apps, games or productivity apps for Windows Phone 7. And so I jumped on that chance and and made a couple of mobile games and some of them did pretty well. Actually, one called Ninja Boy uh, was actually the number one, one or two app on the whole of Windows Phone. Now that is not saying much because Windows Phone <laughs> didn't exactly you know, uh, do as well as maybe Microsoft wanted to, but it's it still, you know, it had a decent install base and that kind of gave me the confidence to be like, Hey, you know, maybe I can actually design games. So from that, uh, I did a couple other games, some games with my brother, some games with, with Sarah, uh, and then eventually kind of got the confidence to, you know, make the leap and, and kind of go full time into games. But yeah, it was kind of always in the background. I tinker and stuff and, and, uh, just eventually kind of, got got good enough that i felt like maybe i could even do it you know okay that's awesome so so it was always kind of a side project for you yeah absolutely okay um so i guess what was the point when sorry one second oh no worries what was the point when you realized this is something i could do full-time and what kind of moment inspired that you know to be honest i still don't even know if i can do it full-time I have been doing it full time, but you know, whether I, you know, Sarah and I can make uh, uh, a living out of it really remains to be seen. Like how, uh, how unto the end performs um, will determine a lot of, you know, what happens kind of next. But I think, uh, you know, it wasn't that long ago in terms of like when I really felt like, Hey, you know, I'm pretty good at this, but I think the first thing really was Ninja boy, like Ninja boy, um, on Windows Phone, I think it got about 5,000 reviews uh, and was reviewed really well, like 4.7 out of 5 or something, because uh, Windows Phone, I guess Apple does five-star reviews max too. Um, so that kind of gave me the confidence. Like that was a g- really a game. Like the other ones are kind of just like little things I kind of threw together, but Ninja Boy was really a game with puzzles and and uh, kind of an interesting tilt-based control system and uh, had a little bit of a story and stuff. And so when that did well, I felt like, hey, you know, this is actually pretty cool. Uh, I liked doing it, and people seemed to like playing it, and it was just neat to interact with people and get their feedback, right? And it, it got some kind of some small from smaller sites like decent press and stuff. So uh, that was kind of the first moment I would say, and then kind of taking to the next level uh, when Sarah and I were at uh, Gamescom in two thousand and eighteen. That was the first time we showed the game publicly. Um, 
in any capacity. And it was actually not even that public. It was only to press. So it wasn't to just, to, you know, the general public, but to, to press could play the game and then interview us about it. Uh, and at that um, conference, um, we got uh, we were lucky enough to get interviewed by Rock, Paper, Shotgun. So I don't know if you know that website, but it's a, it's a British gaming website that, that does, you know, it's kind of got its roots kind of in indie games and um, is, is actually my favorite gaming website. So they really loved it. The interviewers, uh, uh, the guy who chatted with us was a guy named Matt Castle. He really loved it. Actually said it was one of his favorite games of the entire show, right up there with Sekiro and big AAA titles. And so that was like, oh, wow, you know, we, we've actually like uh, we've impressed some people that have seen a lot of stuff. And, you know, uh, not only did they take the time to talk to us, which was really nice, but they actually really seemed to like it. And so Sarah and I both left Gamescom thinking, um, you know, wow, we, maybe we can really make a go of this thing. So, yeah, that, that was pretty huge. Okay, yeah, that's awesome. So that sounds like a, a big strategy you're using to promote your game is um, kind of just going to these large events and talking to the press. Yeah, I mean, uh, we used to. I think, you know, it's interesting, these conferences, if you if you haven't kind of been, we've only been to a couple of them, but um, there's kind of two aspects to it. One, it's really great to meet players and you kind of get this, you know, nothing really beats kind of that organic in-person uh, kind of conversation with someone like they walk by your booth and they say, you know, they stop and they haven't heard of your game and they, and they find it interesting and then they play it and then they really like it and you get to know a little bit about them and they get to know a little bit about you. And then there's also this really great thing where you meet other indie devs and uh, indie development is a pretty lonely experience, right? You have a small team. I mean, Sarah and I is a team of two. We have a sound designer that helps us. He's in Italy and we have a music composer uh, that helps us. He's in LA. Uh, otherwise it's just Sarah and I, you know, day in and day out. And so, you know, you don't, especially coming from larger teams like Microsoft, you, you know, you have a team of like four or 500 people sometimes. Um, that's quite a transition. And so getting to meet other indie devs at these conferences is a, just a great way to share stories and kind of build a support network and stuff like that. So I don't know, honestly, how, uh, how effective it is for marketing the game, but it is definitely, uh, you know, it's nice to meet people. Sometimes, you know, publications will write stories about you. And I guess, you know, it's interesting, honestly, marketing indie games, there's so many indie games, it's very tough. And I, I don't know what the secret sauce is. I don't know if really anyone does, but um, we've tried to tried all avenues like Twitter conferences, online things, steam festivals, anything really, uh, that we can, because, uh, one, we, we just enjoy it, but two, you kind of got to keep trying at it. Um, especially when you're a small, a small studio. Okay. And it sounds like these events are, I, I mean, it does sound like it's helping somewhat with marketing, but I guess holistically it's helping you, um, with, I guess, networking with both, um, people in your situation and then also potential uh, players of the game. So it, it, I feel like there's a lot of parallel. I've seen a lot of parallels with uh, UX design too, which is kind of funny because it seems like in UX design, there's a lot of interviewing people and saying, Hey, what do you think of this? So, right. It's cool. Yeah. I, I mean, in, in terms of like designing a game and, and then uh, doing UX design or just in general, uh, just, I guess, yeah, designing a game and then UX design. I feel like there's a lot of parallels, and it seems like you brought a lot of your experience doing UX design into games. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Like, one thing... Oh, thanks, yeah. Like, I, I mean, just to talk about that for a sec, like, one thing I believe in heavily is um, rather than, like, asking someone about an interface or, or a gameplay experience, 
uh, in terms of like a questionnaire or saying like, um, you know, hey, did you like the experience or what did you dislike or stuff like that? I find it most effective just to watch someone play, either having them record their screen and their microphone and kind of getting that organic, raw feedback. Or if you're lucky enough to kind of have like a, a usability study room, uh, which we used to have at Microsoft, where you kind of like observe people, uh, you know, through the other side of a one-way mirror, then you can just watch them and see how they naturally react. And, and that learning that I did at Microsoft definitely is uh, you know, been super helpful in, in designing under the end. That's cool. That's cool. Um, I guess changing gears a little bit, uh, if let's say like I wanted to get into game design or I was like fresh out of college or I was in an art school or something like that and got a game design degree or however people typically get into the industry, I know that's not the only way. Sure. Um, what, what advice would you have for me to kind of get my footing and I guess what resources would you look to to uh, learn game design effectively? I, you know, I think it really depends on what kind of games you want to make. If you uh, want to make indie games, um, you know, that's one route. And then, you know, the other route would be to, to tackle kind of AAA games and, and uh, join larger teams. Um, you know, I know a little bit about the AAA route. My brother actually um, is a concept artist. He works on like Gears of War uh, and, you know, with those guys over at uh, Xbox and Microsoft. Um, you know, joining a large team uh, in terms of, uh, you know, a lot, a big part of that is, is having a portfolio uh, and getting work experience that would uh, set you apart um, from other candidates that are looking to join that team. And so to me, that's fairly similar to, you know, getting a job at Google or Microsoft or wherever you might be applying to any of those larger companies. And uh, my feeling there and what definitely worked for me was to um, not set yourself up as someone who just ticked a bunch of boxes based on a curriculum in university or, you know, kind of the standard projects that, you know, people might ex expect uh, or the standard resume that, you know, format that, that you know, everyone else kind of follows but to really distinguish yourself uh, as someone who goes above and beyond. So like, for instance, when I was coming out of university, uh, my feeling was, look, everyone that has a computer science degree or, you know, an art degree or whatever it might be, they all more or less in Canada, at least, you know, take the same classes, learn the same things, do the same projects, overcome the same challenges. Uh, there's some small Delta relative to the school you go to, but basically every comes, everyone comes out if they paid attention with the same, uh, same set of skills and learning. And so if that's true, then you're competing with the entire graduating class uh, on the same level. So I always felt that it was actually more important for me, and I started this kind of in second year onward, to do all the, you know, the, the work that you're assigned, but then always be doing side projects. So when I applied to Microsoft and other companies, you know, I had like over a dozen different side projects that I've done. Uh, that actually were the kind of the star of my resume. And I, I put those first, uh, you know, showing the visual, showing the challenges I solved, uh, the problems I solved, you know, showing how I work with teams, showing how I did it solo. And so that, uh, at least for me, uh, seemed to work really well, that, that large companies really responded positively to that and really saw me as someone who was offering maybe something different than, you know, someone who didn't do that work or, you know, just got like great grades, but didn't kind of push beyond, um, you know, what the university or, or their school asked them. Um, so, you know, if you, if you, if you want to go and get a job at like Rockstar or 
Blizzard or something like that, then you know that would be something I would suggest doing is make lots of games, work on projects with friends, finish those things, have them in a form that you can talk about them, talk about how you went above and beyond, talk about the unique problems you've solved that no one else solves, so on and so forth. For indie games, okay, I think it's more about... Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, it sounds like um, having, not only just having projects in your portfolio is important, but I guess diving into more of the story behind that project and kind of doing a lot of writing and showing like, hey, this is what I did and why I did it, how I did it, everything, instead of just throwing it on your portfolio and having, you know, a picture or a video of it. Absolutely. Like, I think it's incredibly important, both in your resume and uh, any projects you do, to showcase how you uniquely solved that in a way that no one else had solved it before. Like, you know, ultimately, these companies want to hire people that are uh, able to think about problems differently, are going to uh, persevere, you know, against kind of, um, you know, there's always going to be challenges. So they're going to they're going to stick it out. They're going to be kind of relentless in trying to solve problems. Um, they know how to work with people, you know, they're self-motivated, all those things I think you want to show kind of in, in your project descriptions. Uh, the only thing I was going to say about indies is that uh, if you're going to go the indie route, you know, it is more about kind of being, wearing a lot of hats. Like you, unless you have a bunch of friends, you can get together and make a game, which is very possible. You know, if you're going to do it on your own, just make lots of stuff, you know, learn a tool like Game Maker or Unity, uh, you know, try and get good enough at art, but I think focus more on gameplay uh, and then kind of build interesting gameplay experiences from very simple mechanics, like take one mechanic, like shooting or jumping or running and make it distinct in some way. Like you look at like Downwell or what Cave Story did with like shooting to make you fly or, um, you know, whatever the case may be, like take one mechanic and then really make that uh, really novel and then share it with people, like get, get the game out there so people can see it um, and then just kind of go from there. Okay, cool. Yeah, and it it sounds like there's also uh, a lot of parallels with, I guess, uh, going the indie route and going the um, traditional route. I think it's it's there's parallels with like kind of entrepreneurship and then seeking a traditional office job, or maybe startups a little bit because it seems like you're wearing a lot of hats when you go the indie route, and then you're a little bit more specialized when you're in a traditional route. Yeah, it, absolutely. And sometimes I joke with, you know, some of my old designer friends that have moved on from Microsoft and, um, you know, are now doing all sorts of things. And, you know, we laugh at how when we were in Microsoft, sometimes we were like, man, we wish we could do more things. Like all we ever do is focus on this one thing. But then when you get outside of it, you're actually like, man, you know, I wish I could just go back and work on one thing. And so you definitely <laughs> at a large company, you have to be, a, I mean, you have to be a specialist and you, you get to go really deep. Uh, but, and you know, the, the flip side of that is that you don't get to do kind of a whole bunch of different stuff. And so, you know, there probably isn't, at least for me, there isn't a better way or like, it, it's just kind of, uh, I think the best thing is to try it one for a bit and then switch and try out something else. Um, you know, that, that at least for me is, has been the thing that I've enjoyed getting to see it from kind of both perspectives. Okay, cool. Uh, um, and I guess moving on a bit. Why did you choose the indie development route over just getting a job at a huge game studio? Um, well, you know, having worked at a big company, 
I was really lucky. Like I, I got to work on a lot of cool projects. I, I was basically just in concepting and envisioning the entire time I was there. All the projects I worked on were like version one projects or concept projects. Um, and when I left, the last thing I was working on was like a rethinking of, of Windows um, as, a, as an experience. And so I felt like it doesn't really get any bigger than that. So I'm going to try and do something much different. So I'm going to go smaller. A niche and and try and do something that you know um, I can wrap my arms around, um, and then of course Sarah and I wanted to do it together, and we wanted to see if we could kind of have a lifestyle change in terms of like we wanted to do it while we were traveling, uh, and so we picked something we both could tackle. We were both excited about, but something we could kind of do while being mobile, um, and so to us that that had to mean you know indie doing something indie. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. I feel like when you think of uh, location independent businesses or careers, you think of like web development or right. digital marketing or something like that. And I feel like a lot of people don't realize that there's a lot more than just that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I you, I don't know if you heard, but you know, recently, uh, Flam Beer, you know, the guys who did ridiculous fishing and and nuclear throne and all those games, like they have decided, you know, they're they're gonna uh, JW and and Rami are gonna gonna kind of do their own thing. It was interesting hearing about, you know, the last 10 years that they were together. They often were doing things independently anyway, like they're on the road or doing things in different locations. And they'd often only meet at conferences. Uh, and, and you know, that I think shows that you can make fantastic games, actually very successful games and do it kind of wherever you want, as long as you, you can find the space and time to do it and have, a, I guess, a decent laptop. Yeah, OK, that's, that's cool. Um, I guess moving on a little bit with uh, the traveling section and I guess work from home as well. Cause I, I'm, I assume you're probably at home like everybody else right now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, but uh, what, what strategies do you have for staying productive and holding yourself accountable when it comes to finishing work? Sure. Um, I mean, I'm lucky that uh, I actually just love doing this stuff. I know that sounds like super cliche and um, all that, but um yeah, I just love making stuff. So for me, I actually would rather make a game or games than like play video games or, you know, watch a cool TV show. So uh, it, I almost have the opposite problem of like, I have too many things I want to make and not enough time to make them and almost get like frustrated to have to sleep at night kind of thing. Um, but one thing I try to do when I get under a lot of pressure that I think is generally applicable is I make lists of things. You know, like I, I make lists either on post-it notes or I, I take a spreadsheet and, you know, write down, you know, a week's worth of work. Um, and I try to be really good about every day, you know, knocking something off that list, at least one thing. So some people call it like no zero percent days or, you know, no zero effort days or whatever. So I, I find that is, is super important. Uh, on the flip side, uh, I, Sarah and I make an effort, um, you know, there's the couple side of it, but, you know, just in terms of motivation to answer your direct question, like we try to always get when we do when we're not working on the game or on our computer, we try to get a, totally away from screens. So, you know, get out in nature, go for a long hike, you know, go for a long drive. Like don't um, kind of have that disconnect, like be totally analog rather than be always being digital. Uh, I often don't bring my phone with me when I, you know, when I go out for, you know, a day on the weekend or when you're working from home, you can kind of go midweek too. Um, and so that really helps kind of recharge the batteries um, and get, 
us both excited about getting back in front of our computers. Uh, so that to me is, is very helpful. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm weird. I'm definitely a workaholic. You know, I, I don't really know what that term means, but I love working. And so I, I just, uh, for me, it's just a lot of fun to make stuff. And I feel extremely lucky that I can make things. Um, and you know, especially at this time with coronavirus and everything, just insanely lucky that I can actually work from home. Um, and that my work can be done remotely. So I know that's not true for a lot of people. And I feel really lucky that both Sarah and I can do that. Okay, cool. That's, that's awesome. It sounds like you're really passionate about it. So yeah, great. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I guess that kind of segues into my next point uh, or my next question is what, I mean, I assume it's gotta be kind of hectic and crazy with scheduling, but what does your, work-life balance look like as a game designer? Mm, I don't want to say it's non-existent, but it's pretty close. Like, uh, I, I mean, there's, there's peaks and valleys, right? Like there's times where for the last like three months or so we worked insanely hard. I haven't worked that hard. I don't think ever in my life where you're, you're really like getting up working all day and then going to sleep you know, and you're not often sleeping eight hours a day. So I don't know how often, how many hours of the day are working, but a lot. Um, and you're, you're not really, you know, maybe we take one day a month to go do something, but at the, in crunch time, you know, it's really crunch time. But often, um, you know, work-life balance comes in the form of spending time with friends. You know, we try and take at least two days a week, whether that's on the week de- weekend or weekday. Um, and, and, spend time with friends, get outside, as I said, like get away from things and make sure that, um, you know, we always have time for each other and we always have time for non-game things. Um, And as artists too, it's like, um, I think it's very important to do that. When we were traveling, we used to make a commitment of every couple months, we would take, you know, one or two weeks off and go somewhere. Like we'd go to Patagonia or we'd go, you know, to Machu Picchu or, you know, we spent time in South America or we'd, you know, uh, when we were, we, we uh, spend some time in uh, Scotland. So we go up to the Isle of Skye and, and really kind of get away and do something that is like really exciting and that we kind of plan and, and get really uh, 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 energized about and, and make a commitment to do that. Not like spend all sorts of money, you end up doing it really cheaply, but still really like go do it and, and really enjoy it. Um, I think that really helps have that balance. Like always have goals you're trying to strive for in terms of like, okay, we got to hit this deadline because, you know, we're going to go, down to Patagonia for a week and a half. Um, that that really helps kind of keep things balanced, we, we found. Okay, cool. So it sounds like, it, I mean, it's definitely like a kind of on and off profession where you have like in really intense working periods and then you have periods where it's a little bit slow and you can kind of do things on your own. It's, it's the hardest thing. Like I'm not exaggerating. Like, oh, it's challenge. No, it's like the hardest thing, like like it's mentally exhausting you, you like there's it, I'm, I'm not trying to be overly uh dramatic but like there are periods if you do this where you will you will think you know you're you're never going to succeed everything's going to everything everyone's going to hate your ideas like it is like super lonely kind of dark journey and then there are periods where you're like man this is going to be great people are going to love it you know we're going to be able to do more of this um yeah, it's it's indie games like I don't know. I'm like, what's the way to describe it? Like when you think about other artistic endeavors like painting or writing or whatever, 
it's almost like as if you're a writer and literally when you turn the page, the page could break. Like English would no longer make sense and like grammar would fall apart. And like the person reading the book would no longer be able to understand the next page. Like that's what it's like to make a video game because despite your best efforts, it is an interactive piece of art and it can break. Like people can break it and like the things you wanted them to experience, they can totally experience it in a different way, either through bugs or kind of just misinterpreting very subtle signals. And unlike, you know, art, film, theater, literature, the tools we have in games are still really, really immature. Like we really don't have a sophisticated vocabulary or set of tools for delivering the kind of emotionally resonant or, you know, action or whatever uh, type of experience that, that film and, 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 and books are able to do. And so not only is it just intellectually incredibly challenging, uh, but there's not much you can, there's not like a great well of, uh, you know, uh, literature or, you know, uh, information you can draw upon and then take all that and then it can break. So it's like, it's nuts. Like it, when I sit back and think about it, it's like, a, it's almost like crazy to try and do, but uh, that's also part of the fun, I guess. Wow. That's a lot, a lot to unpack. <laughs> that was really good. Um, no, no, that's, that's, that was really good. It was just, geez. Uh, I guess it just kind of makes me wonder, like, why do you do it specifically then? You know, uh, I guess I like the challenge of it. Definitely. I, I, you know, I've always, like ever since I was a kid, I like solving problems and trying to, like, I guess if you had to give me any qualification as like a vocation, I would say I'm like an inventor, I guess. And so I've always liked doing that. And it's just, it's just neat. Like I, I love playing games um, for the kind of like you can get lost in them and feel smart and feel special and go on these kind of adventures you couldn't otherwise go on. And I just find it incredibly um, satisfying to, to have other to even have a chance to give another person that kind of experience. And this is going to sound way too like over the top, but I almost feel like because I like doing it, it's like I it's almost like my duty to try and do it if that makes any sense. Like, I guess if I was like a great singer, I would feel like it was my, like I owed it to myself and like humanity to, to try and be the best singer I could be. And so, or painter or whatever the case would be. And so I, I feel like I'm pretty good at this. And I, I just like, it's like, I just owe it to like, try and be as good as I can be at it. Yeah, that's, wow. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely, geez. I mean, it sounds like you're very passionate. I mean, I, I know it sounds like you're extremely passionate about your game and working as a game developer and designer. Um, I guess uh, moving on a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's moving on a little bit. Um, if you had to describe, like, I guess you probably touched on this in the last answer, but if you had to describe the perfect personality to be a game designer, what would it be? Well, that's an interesting one. Um, you know, I, I think it definitely depends on the kind of games you want to make. So if you're going to make like, a, you know, like a 4K kind of strategy game, um, you know, then I think it tends to be a little bit more statistic driven. You spend a lot of your time in like spreadsheets and make sure things are balanced and stuff like that. If you want to make games that are, um, you know, maybe more about, story in the traditional sense, like, um, 
you know, like a, a game I, I really enjoyed that came out an indie game called Roki. You know, that game has got a lot of dialogue in it, and it's almost like moving through a, a, a novel. And so I think you've got to be really passionate about taking literature and you know, kind of transposing it in a way into an interactive form. Um, I guess overall, though, the best personality trait I can think of is someone who just, you know, is is like really a serial problem solver. And, and really, like, the thing I don't think a lot of people know, and I was shocked when I read this, like, even the best companies throw away an insane amount of work. Like, in the guys at Playdead who make Inside and Limbo and are working on a third game, they say they throw about, throw about 70% of all the work they do away. It never makes it to the user. Um, the guys... Yeah, that's nuts, right? Like the guys at Naughty Dog, like they're like they don't even know those guys until the game's like 80-90% done, whether it's going to be any good. And these are like these are guys who make like the best games in the whole industry. So it's like you you have to be it's all everyone I talk to they're like it's all about iteration. Like you can design the best thing possible on a piece of paper, you get into the game, you think it's amazing, you get it in users' hands and it just it sucks. It's not fun, it doesn't work. And then it's then it's like this, you know, like how do you figure it out, right? Do you throw it away? Do you iterate on it? Does it need more visuals, more sound? Does the like, base system not work? And so I think the the best trade is like you just have to be super determined and relentless about trying out new stuff. Try it out, try it out. Like the best tool you can develop, I think, is an ability to try out ideas. Um, and, you know, we're, we're still not that advanced there, right? We have tools like Unity. So it used to be the case you had to, like, write your own game engine, and then you could, like, make a game. So Unity solved that problem. But you still have, you know, like, you got to learn how to program, or you got to lose learn really complicated tools to make something interactive and playable. And so what I think you'll see over time is you'll see those tools get better, where you have systems and, and maybe even AI helping game designers, like, try out ideas. And so you'll be able to get that loop down of, like, here's an idea, I built it, someone played it, I evaluated it, you know, I'm going to change the idea. That loop will get tighter and tighter and then you'll be able to, you know, you'll be able to iterate more and more and games will get better and they'll be more creative and stuff. But that that ability to iterate and like have a thick skin and not get frazzled and not get too depressed, like that is probably the number one personality trait, I'd say. Yeah, okay, wow. Uh, it sounds like being very attached to your work and because it, it sounds it sounds like it could be crushing to put all this time and energy into something and then it just gets completely crushed and says and someone says okay do it completely differently this time yeah it can be i mean there's an interesting analogy um a guy named bill buxton who's a user experience guy wrote a book called sketching user experiences um he talked in his book that book sketching user experience he talks about this um class a high school class pottery class and they uh the class is divided in half half the class is going to be graded on making one pot that is beautiful perfect holds water you know whatever just make one perfect pot the other class the other half of the class is only going to be graded by weight so how much how much pottery do they produce they're going to put it on a scale and whoever has the most will get the top mark and then it'll go down from there and so what happens at the end of the, of the semester is not only does the, does the side of the class that is just graded on weight make better pots, they're more creative, they're more visually attractive, they're more functionally successful, et cetera, et cetera. But the, 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 the side of the, the class that only has to make one beautiful pot often doesn't finish the pot, 
They get stuck, like iterating on paper and never even get the pot done. Often the pots leak. They don't, they don't look that good, et cetera, et cetera. And so the way I defend against, and I encourage anyone to defend against like criticism is just be like a serial idea generator. Like just, yeah, uh, that's cool. You don't like that idea. Here's four more, like here's four more. And you, you just like, if once you start doing that, then ideas aren't really that precious as precious. I mean, it still hurts. You never want anyone to say this sucks, but if you take that mindset of like, I, I got more ideas, I got more ideas, then it doesn't hurt as much. And you can kind of see it as like a, a good thing if people don't like stuff because well, now here's a chance to try out more stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like the, I don't know, it's a little cliche, but the, the whole fail fast mentality, you know? Yeah, like, absolutely. Fail uh-huh. quickly so you can learn. Okay. Absolutely. And uh, I guess this is my last question for you, Stephen, but if you weren't, like, let's say you couldn't do UX design, you couldn't do game design for the rest of your life, what would you be doing for work? I've always wanted to be a coach. Like, I've always wanted to coach basketball. So I don't know if that's practical or not. That's cool. <laughs> but I've always wanted to be a coach, yeah. So a coach or a teacher. I think I'd, I'd be a coach or a teacher. Uh, and a lot of okay, teachers cool. are coaches. And so I'd, I probably would do that. All right. Um, all right. Well, <laughs> thank you so much, Steve, for coming on. Where can people find out more about you and your game? Uh, on Twitter, Two Tone Studios, uh, Twitter, and then, you know, just Google under the end. Uh, and if you like what you see, you know, drop a wish list on Steam. Uh, Sarah and I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah. I'll be sure to do that now. <laughs> awesome, man. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, Stephen. I'll talk to you later. For sure. Thanks so much. A lot of fun. Cheers. A huge thanks to Steven for coming on the show, and if you'd like to learn more about him and Unto the End, you can find him over at Twitter at 2Ton Studios, that's the number 2, T-O-N, Studios, or find him by searching for Unto the End Game. If you'd like to try Unto the End, the game is not launched yet by the airing of this episode, but a demo is free to try on Steam. Thank you so much, and see you all next week.